but there should. Hey, you just you're sitting on that one, huh? <laughs> I mean, we do have like an outro. I thought for sure you yeah. were gonna do something like uh, you were gonna like it was like something with the with the plane noise. I thought that was gonna happen. That's and there's a little you can adjust the volume on your uh, on your headset. I like the it's like um, Lion King. There you go. I think that's what he was going for. That was it. Feels so weird being over here. That's usually my seat. I'm like macrameed into that one. Oh, this is your seat. Yeah. I think I've explored every single like square inch of the room from that perspective. And this one is like it's a little off for me. So we're breaking new ground today. Hey, there we go. Yeah. You know, try and try new stuff. Are you missing the black rod? What just give to you? No, I'm not missing the black rod. <laughs> Actually I've become more fond of the of the red one. Yeah, hey, take it for a test drive. Legend arm. You got it. I All think right. it's I think it's easier. And what do you think, Eric? I like the small one. Yeah. Eric was doing the this one. He said his tricep. He likes getting his triceps pumped before he goes on air. Yeah, it's really what it's in here for. That one, that's that one's harder than it looks. <laughs> I think I have the grip strength of a. Oh, it measures it. Of a of a twelve year old girl. I think that's where I I landed on that. I bet you're gonna smash that. Yeah. I don't know, 66. That's pretty good. Oh, 66. Yeah. 66. That, that's really good. <laughs> I think that, that's in kilos. I think that's, that's the most we've seen. This guy's he's been doing construction his whole life. He's going to probably break it. Oh, he's a killer grip. How do you reset it? Just hit Just start. Just hit start. Took me a while, too. Uh-oh. I think I got 50, 57, maybe. I'm at 54.2. Hey, that's good. I mean, you've got the grip strength of a you know, maybe a 10-year-old girl. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you, got, you got plenty of room for, <laughs> room for improvement. We did pull it this morning, so we can't really be, you know. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. it'd, it'd be the day of. We got to be fresh. Yeah, I, think, I think it was raining outside when I pulled on it. It had to affect it somehow. Yeah. Humidity, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. Did you guys work out this morning? We did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. nice. Yep, we well, did. Again. Deadlifts. Oh yeah, three uh three by five, I three think. Three by five. Three by five. Yep. What'd you guys pull? Uh, I think I was like four fifty something and then Aaron Jesus. from from the Hawaiian Trail run did four eighty five. Four eighty five by three? Uh, yeah, yeah. God. Maybe by two. <laughs> Eric, what do you deadlift? I pulled four fifteen. Today? Yeah. Today? Yeah. By three? Yeah, and he cracked some light on on the heavier bar. Yeah, too. what? <laughs> yeah, he had some intense coaching too from Kevin Ogar. Kevin, Kevin was Ogar. sitting right in front of him. Oh, he's pretty good. Yeah, I was not planning on going heavy, but it's like there's so much great coaching here. I could you know yeah get some pointers. Dang. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Gosh, I'm bummed I missed that. I went from 415. Okay, uh, yeah, let me pull a 465 for one. Got wow. some pointers from Kevin. I'm really That's bummed. my kind of workout. We like did breathing and then heavy deadlift. <laughs> oh yeah, Jenny. Jenny's all into the breathing thing. Yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We did it the other day. Yeah, that was so much better yeah. than uh, like a metcon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was cool. We did a little bit of rowing, and then we like got into like these poses, and we had to push out on our core and yeah. like hold it. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was great. I really like Jenny's classes. How many people were there this morning? It was packed. It was a lot. All the nonprofits yeah, were there. Twenty-five, and... maybe. Yeah. I think 25 people? Oh, yeah. We used up every plate in the whole gym yeah. out of the rack. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's cool. We had like maybe four people per bar, and we just did like a conga line. Like, you're yeah. Up. Oh, man. That's rad. Yeah, it was good. Uh, now I'm getting FOMO. <laughs> 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 I woke up the crack of dawn to work out yesterday so I could rest today, and 
I missed out on all the fun stuff. It was just Eric and me alone in the gym yesterday. Yeah. Just two guys bench pressing. Just two guys benching. Oh, that's funny because we bench pressed the other day at uh, CrossFit Santa yeah. Cruz Central. Yeah, if you hang out oh, with nice. Kevin Ogar, you bench press. Yeah. yeah. Point. So now I'm sore here. I'm sore. My chest is sore and <laughs> my posterior chains. <laughs> Getting ready for a plane ride. Lit up him today. Mm -hmm. It's well, like, it's like um, Mondays we barbell bench press, Tuesdays dumbbell bench press. Just oh, every day nice. get some benching in. Probably. Those are the days. Yeah, isn't gotta, that the worst? Come he around. Heavy deadlifting and then getting on a plane. <laughs> yeah. Miserable. When I went to Boston last weekend, or uh, two weekends ago, we did this. It was like, I was like 10, I can't remember what it was. It was maybe it was like 2015, 10, 5, like descending and up weight every time deadlift. And I got on a plane the very next day, and it was just like my my body just like curled up into a ball <laughs> that cross country flight. <laughs> yeah, well, we did all those lunges yesterday. It was like fifteen minute AMRAP uh, lunges and handstand walks. Oh yeah, so that's that a fun one. Turned into lunges and crawls. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, Eric, you're here as always. On the turntables, mm -hmm. we have Scott and Chris from the Phoenix. Phoenix organization, what's the full name of the nonprofit? Just the Phoenix. The Phoenix. The Phoenix.org. The Phoenix. People find us. Cool. Yeah. And you guys are based out of where? Each We're other. headquartered in Denver, mm -hmm. um, and that's where I live. And then uh, we have programs, though, in uh, about 10 states and 12 cities. And uh, Chris here is in Boston. Awesome, cool. And you are in Orange County, right? I yeah, I spend a bunch of time out there. Uh, I go between there and Denver primarily. Cool. So you kind of split time between the two. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, the surfing's better in Orange County. Substantially better than the surf in Denver. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I uh, I was skimming, just reading about your company. We've we've you've been partnered with CrossFit for a while. Mm -hmm. here, right? Yeah. Um, but one thing that I've, I heard the other night when we were at dinner and I read and it always comes back to me is the only membership fee is 48 hours sober. Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can come in all of your problems, all of your baggage and just be sober for two days and we'll turn your life around. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty hard pressed to find another you know, company entity organization that offers something, you know, so profound for free to people who really need it. So what, so my question is, what is, what, so what is the Phoenix and what is its overall mission? Yeah, so we're, we're obviously a nonprofit. We're a sober, active community. And uh, just through activities, you know, such as CrossFit and boxing and yoga and strength training and climbing and whatever else people get into, mm -hmm. um, we help people build a new community in recovery and find positive coping mechanisms through those activities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, coming in the gym, when you look through kind of our website or look up our content, you'll see all those people kind of came in for the first time and tied into a climbing rope or picked up a barbell. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that group of friends that they're with in those photos ends up being their support network and helps them stay sober. Yeah, support network. I think that's really, that's really what I'm, I'm getting at here is like, that's someone coming off of addiction. And I, I mean, I've never been addicted to something. I think that really was that detrimental to my life that I, that I know of. I mean, mm -hmm. who knows? There's the things, demons we all have, right? But 
recovering for something like a drug addiction, like you, you have to have that support group. And I, I can't think of a better way than like in a CrossFit gym to do that. I mean, there's, you know, hard work, camaraderie. And we talked about this the other night, you know, shared suffering. It does so much for people. I mean, more than just, you know, doing it by yourself in the corner of a gym. So what what is like, uh, like, I don't know, give me an example of like the average person coming in with like their average set of problems. Like what, 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 do, you, what do you see most often? So in Boston, it could be, you know, anybody that's, it could, we have such a wide range of folks that participate, especially in our, our CrossFit classes. Uh, we can get guys that are, guys or girls that are three days out of detox. And mm-hmm. we have folks that have been participating with us for years, all in the same class. Um, one of the most powerful things, I think, for uh, for the folks that come in and and, and I think anybody that participates in CrossFit can uh, identify with this, but you know the whiteboard mm. is is the, the the thing that the folks walk in and look at it and they're like, oh my god, I can't do that. I've never done anything like yeah. this before. And uh, um, the group of people that rallies around them helps them through it. And uh, that that challenge and um, that they that they overcome that day is like so transferable into life for mm-hmm. people in recovery because we're we're suffering from things that um, that are hard to to make daily life easy, you know. So, like, if they can get through that dead, the deadlift workout, you know, picking up the phone to uh, get that job application going, or or um, just calling a friend for help, mm. um, all that stuff, uh, it makes it a little bit easier. And every day, you know, you're you're overcoming that daily challenge. You're you're growing your CrossFit roots and you're growing your recovery roots too. And uh, um, and you're building like essentially a family, right? A yeah. At, at the core, I, you know, uh, uh, Phoenix is really building sober community more than anything because CrossFit it, it isn't for everybody. You know, some folks uh, find their love in yoga or or the indoor rock climbing that we do or mm-hmm. the hiking or any of the outdoor activities we uh we surf in new england during the summer we'll uh we'll go up to rye beach in uh new hampshire and surf every tuesday night is there surf in boston yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's actually yeah. pretty good yeah it's nice gentle waves not like california uh, what is it what is it's it like it's like 15 degrees uh no it's 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 about 15 degrees it's in the 40s <laughs> <laughs> the only other people in the water are from canada okay <laughs> like oh this is warm yeah, yeah like board shorts just it's, pull out your price suit. it's probably in the upper 60s probably like oh, in right. july <laughs> yeah and they're nice gentle waves about three or four feet high and they're spread out so you got a chance to catch nice. them and it's really powerful that's a powerful experience for a lot of folks too being on the water so what you do is it's not just in the gym we go out for activities and there's more to it yeah 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 what what would be like um i mean like uh for lack of a better term like like a success story like if someone walks through your doors and say they're two days sober what what would be the most ideal path for them to follow yeah i mean i think when when folks first come in oftentimes they're kind of looking at the floor that they have a lot of self-esteem wounds that 
you know, predate their addiction. You know, we talk a lot about early childhood trauma and, um, you know, a lot of our folks have, you know, trauma histories and, and then your addiction kind of takes you to an even darker place often and, and kind of starts to teach you this, this lesson that you're not worthy or worthy of love or deserving of anything good. And, mm-hmm. and that, that you kind of destroy everything that you, that, that cares about you and you're left sort of isolated. And so if people come in and they're carrying that weight, you can kind of feel it mm-hmm. and they walk into the gym and it's, we try to have somebody at the front door greeting them because it can be intimidating when you walk into a big busy box for the first time. Absolutely. And the bars are rattling and the floor shaking and well, especially coming off of, you know, being on the streets. Yeah. That would intimidate yeah. me. Yeah. And then, so somebody, you know, smiling face greets you, brings you in. We try to learn some people's backstory a little bit pretty quickly so mm-hmm. we can pair them up with somebody that they can connect with. And, um, you know, then you try your first CrossFit workout and you, you know, step up to the bar and you pick it up and maybe they put a little more weight on and you pick it up and get a little bend in it. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's cool to watch the smile just start to come across people's faces. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're talking about everything but their addiction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they're talking about how to get better at their clean and jerk and if they'll get muscle up someday and, and, uh, signing up for the open and, Mm -hmm. and then they become, you know, a volunteer coach and we start having them welcome the new people and work with the new guys. And, and then many of them go on and get level one and end up being a volunteer Mm -hmm. coach for us. Oh, wow. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say out of our, you know, 45 staff, I'd say probably about 38 of them have come through the program. No way. Yeah. So it's all peer led people in recovery, teaching other people in recovery, something they love. Wow. L1. It keeps coming up in this room, right? Very common. I got my shirt on today. Yeah. Like that. What um. What what does that timeline look like? Like what is like how long does that take for most people? You know, it's it's a little different for everybody. I'd say that we have kind of two types of members that come to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, we have folks that come on the regular, and they're the volunteer coaches and become coaches. And then we have folks that come and meet a new group of people and they don't really need us anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. we may empower them Mm -hmm. to, to rock climb on their own. And, you know, I would say sort of Instagram and Facebook are the outcome study because you look there on a Sunday night and they mountain bike something crazy and they train for their first triathlon and they have their climbing pictures and they're Mm -hmm. all tagging each other. And I can remember when they came in two days sober and it's just powerful to see this new new tribe they found. Wow. Yeah, it's got to be something. I mean, seeing, I don't want to say at their worst, but seeing people at, you know, hit rock bottom, that's, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Like, and that's not, that's not easy to be around. It's not easy to help. Like, how, how, how did you guys even get involved in this? Like, how, how did the whole thing start? Well, I, I started Phoenix with like kind of a core group of friends in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I was coming from, you know, climbing and mountaineering and triathlon. Are you originally from Colorado? Um, grew up in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, but in, in Boulder, you it's hard not to fall into all those sports. It you know? is it is incredible. I actually, before I got this job, I, actually, I moved to, I was going to go to Oregon and then head down to Denver and live there. I'd visited and just that vibe there. Mm-hmm. Walking through town, it's like everybody wants to be doing something. Yeah, everybody's car is full of like some kind of outdoor equipment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're yeah, yeah. getting ready to go to the mountains, and 
And uh, we started there, and then we started coming into cities, and we needed a gym because it was hard to kind of activate all those different activities there. Mm-hmm. And so we opened a gym, and it was primarily just old school strength training and boxing. And uh, somebody's like, you guys should do CrossFit. And I was like, what's that? And, <laughs> and I was a personal trainer before starting Phoenix. So I was like, I'm going to check out this L1 thing. And I went and um, they're like, we're going to do Fran. I'm like, what's Fran? And, uh, <laughs> Here we go. We'll show you. Yeah. yeah. So at the 20 minute time cap, I was the only guy moving a barbell. I was like in the 15s. Oh my and, goodness. Uh, and everybody else was like cheering me on. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big dude. So like those pull-ups were just totally new to mm-hmm. me. And um, I, I came back to Phoenix, and I was like, we got to do this here. Yeah. And that's how it kind of kicked off. And then Chris got plugged in just through a mutual friend. But mm. So this was so this first gym opened in what year? We, we opened in 2006. 2006. Okay, 2006. Yeah. And you took your L1 in? You know, they still did Fran in it, so whenever that was. Yeah, I was, was going to say, that's got to be, I mean – 2012 at the latest. Yeah, yeah, it's been about because we got our L1s around right around the same time. It's been about six or seven years now. Yeah. Where did you uh, do the L1 at? Um, at, at uh, Matt Shree Chan's gym. Trust Verb, Verb, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember who else was there? Um, no, I don't. I was kind of in a blur. <laughs> just, just, just that, that twenty-minute Fran. Yeah, I blur the whole time. Hey, shit, that'll do it to you. Yeah. Do you remember? Were you at the same one? Uh, no, I actually got my. I being from Massachusetts, I feel fortunate. You know, I got to get my L one at Reebok when they were in Canton. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so Austin Maliano was there, and mm-hmm. Spencer Hendel, and James Hobart. Uh, no, no, James no, yeah. wasn't there. That's surprising. It was Spencer Hendel's dad in EC. Oh, yeah. And um, the guy from, again, Faster. And I can't remember. Oh, uh, John Gilson. Yes. Yeah. And then at my L2, um, James Hobart was there. Huh. And then Canton as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. so you've taken your L2. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Scott got his L2 also. Nice. I've, I've, I've heard incredible things about it. I haven't taken it. I think it's important. Yeah. My wife my wife is a trainer at Cross the Santa Cruz, and she, for her most recent validation, she took the L2, and uh, she just couldn't speak highly enough, but yeah. highly enough about it. Yeah. And she said it's just like the hands-on, the things that they teach you to actually be able to communicate these movements to yeah. people is like yeah. – it's like the, the L1 is a great foundation for it all, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a holistic approach to, you know, everything CrossFit. Mm-hmm. But then the L2 is such a nice little building block on top of it. I felt I like agree. it was mm-hmm. uh, it was a little bit back to basics. You mm-hmm. know, you were really working on those nine foundational movements, dialing them in, being able to transfer that information to your the folks that are coming. Yeah. So it was good. It was good. I liked it. Cool. Okay. So 2006, fast forward four five six years l1 taking it how many gyms are there now so we 2006 we had about 70 people come to phoenix and then um we've now served over twenty four thousand people with free recovery support goodness and that's uh, twenty four thousand. Twenty four thousand, and wow. eight eight thousand of those folks have come in through our crossfit program okay so yoga, climbing, and CrossFit are the three biggest. Um, and did you do boxing as well? Yeah, we do boxing. Uh, the bags, not each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to hold on to the couple of brain cells still rolling yeah. around in there. I hear all you need is two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's it's uh, 
it's been cool to see it grow. So we have two ways we grow. So Chris actually is on a team that trains volunteers to run it in affiliates that are willing to donate time. Okay. So if you if your noon class is the last one on Saturday, then we come in after that if you'll open the doors to us and run Phoenix. And then Chris helps cultivate volunteers in that community that are sober. And we train them up in Phoenix, and they have to be certified you know, through CrossFit as well. So are, are these gyms that you're going into, are they, they're just, they're just affiliates or yeah. gyms? Yeah, that, 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 uh, primarily has been the best fit and we found that it's worked best for us to, um, the, uh, we have, um, we have so many people reaching out to us all the time for, uh, for help. There's communities all across the country. I don't know how many emails, you know, Scott gets a week, but, uh, and phone calls, but it's a lot. It's really overwhelming. So we needed to find a model that we could deploy quick, quicker than putting up big yeah. buildings and yeah. big gyms. And um, CrossFit gyms had been reaching out to us constantly. So mm -hmm. being able to uh, have a champion in that CrossFit gym that um, would would be willing to coach an hour a week mm -hmm. and donate the time to for free CrossFit for people in recovery. Yeah, that's incredible. It is. I, I want to say the guy, um, I forget his last name, Todd. He was in here yesterday. Todd Ellis. Ellis, thank you. I remember his. Inst I remember people's Instagram handle names. Now I don't remember. Really <laughs> like Paley Pusher. No, uh, Todd. Todd Double. Well, that was his Instagram name. Um, so his his nonprofit. Uh, actually, that no, wasn't his nonprofit. It was a guy from his work. It was a guy from his work. He'd been trying to get into CrossFit for over a year, and finally the guy said sure, and so he found. A gym near his work they took the guy in to work out essentially for free kind of run him through elements whatever it may be mm -hmm. and then that guy just slowly like figured it out and acclimated into the into mm -hmm. the culture there or pardon me into the community there mm -hmm. i think it's so cool that gyms are opening up their space for really non-profits just people just trying to get people into the gym yeah i well i think everybody wants to um crossfit you know inherently is good people and they um they want to help people want to want to find out how they can help and uh what what they can do for their own community within their gym mm -hmm. and odd it, well maybe not oddly enough but <laughs> i'm sure that every almost every single crossfit gym has a large community of people in recovery already in it so as yeah. soon as they find out about you know being able to have free crossfit for people that are in recovery it activates their community within their existing gym yeah it's really amazing process. We just started one of our newest ones is in uh, Portland, Maine at CrossFit Casco Bay, hmm. and in uh, the the group of people up there are just super supportive and they love it, and uh, and it it grows really quickly. You know the word passes around through through the recovery community, and mm -hmm. there's people that last I think last week I saw um, there was some yoga folks that came to try CrossFit. That's awesome. <laughs> it is that awesome. Is cool. So they're getting exposed to. Um, so how how does someone in need find out about you guys? We do we do a lot of outreach. So we'll you know we'll talk to anybody who wants to listen about what we're doing. You know we'll go mm -hmm. to the VA and do outreach. We'll go to probation there's uh, specialty courts like drug courts and veterans courts hmm. we'll go talk to the magistrate there and tell them what we do and so anybody we will listen to us we'll go chat with them but also we work with a lot of treatment centers 
so we try to bring them into the box too and uh so they hear about us when when they're in treatment and then they come out and know we're there for them to support wow. them so but, you you guys are in the trenches yeah and the cool thing about that is that like so phoenix uh, if you for active participants we have about a 23 percent relapse rate okay. which is super low i say formal treatments like 50 to 60 yeah. percent and so if we partner with treatment capture people when they come out and hold them in our community until they get their feet under them mm. the likelihood of them staying in recovery goes way up and then the other thing is that i think that people in inside of phoenix actually relapse rates are shorter because you have all oh, these folks hitting you up they're like dude where were you saturday when are you coming back yeah. you only need 48 hours so get back in here we miss you mm-hmm. and we're gonna plug back in right away yeah that's actually a really good point i mean that happens just in everyday affiliates. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't shown with my affiliate since last since Saturday, <laughs> and I, I got texted last night I'm like, "Where the hell are you?" <laughs> well, what's funny is when they stop calling, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the relapse rates are actually so when they do relapse, that 23 percent of the time. It's a shorter period. I believe so. We haven't yeah. really figured out how to study that specifically. I think it's a. I think it's a claim you can make. But um, but I see it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, look, watching those twenty three thousand over actually sorry twenty four thousand people that have come in the mm-hmm. last eleven years, um, I see it in them. I see the power of the community to draw them back in, mm-hmm. and I think that you know there's a good book I was just reading by Sebastian Younger um, called Tribe. And it's about vets kind of coming home and getting reintegrated. And it really hit a chord with me because I think all of us are trying to find a tribe. And sometimes we find one that can pull us off the path, you know, and sometimes we find one that helps us believe what's possible. Mm-hmm. And that's what people find at Phoenix and at CrossFit, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I remember Greg, when Greg was at the Harvard Business School, there was a woman there who wrote a book. Angie, is it about the about the, the about the third space? Um, what we're talking about? Oh yeah. Is that Angie? Yeah, I don't know if it was Angie, but I know that that theory. Yeah. Of the... I mean, I'm, I'm I'm butchering this here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it. It's what was what Savant say? And it's it, it's in it's in the spirit of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, there's there's the three spaces, right? People occupy with the majority of their time throughout the day in their life. You have time with you know family at home at work and the last one is you know what is that third space people occupy and it's typically religion right people go to church and that's their community but with crossfit it's really not infiltrated but it's taken over that third space for a lot of people where Mm -hmm. it's like that is their you know Mm -hmm. black bear term their 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 church or their their third space (laughs) and i mean i'm thinking about someone struggling with addiction they probably don't have much of a family Mm -hmm. they probably don't have a job Mm -hmm. and so this is all they have and yeah. so really, I mean, you're, you're tossing them a life preserver and being like, hey, I know you don't really think you have much of a reason to live, but mm-hmm. I come throw this barbell around and there's some people that will help you out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that concept of the third, third space or third place, um, we actually entered into a hackathon about the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. And it was all technology, mostly technology. People were coming up with concepts. And all the concepts they were coming up with were around keeping people from dying so overdose reversal mm-hmm. drugs some kind of app that would do something and we need all that stuff right mm-hmm. we need more treatment beds we need overdose reversal drugs but nothing was focused on helping people live 
Yes. Right. And and so we actually called our project in that hackathon the third place, based on All that right. concept. Yeah. And and uh, we were one of the winners of the hackathon. But the building we're about to open in Boston in the fall mm-hmm. is twelve thousand square foot Phoenix gym. We're going to fill it with people in recovery, and it's born from that concept. So it's right. cool you brought that up. It's yeah. uh, right in the city, right at the kind of tip of the spear around an area they call Methadone Mile in Boston. Oh, yeah, gnarly. It's, uh, it's a place that needs needs some hope sort of brought into it and yeah. and the space. Actually, Greg stopped by there a few months ago to check it out. Yeah, it was when he spray painted on, right? Yeah. 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 It's funny how that's the touchstone for that whole thing. It is, totally. The bottom there. Yeah. Yep. Well, his his tag is now covered by a climbing wall that that they're installing right now. Oh, cool! And uh, so you guys will have to come by when we open up out there. Oh, absolutely! I'm a big big Boston fan. As long as the sun's out, I'm even more of a fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all four days. Yeah, I think I think one of the important points about that we really haven't touched on much was that you know we're all peer led. All the coaches are are in recovery. Ourselves, Scott and I are both in recovery. And, and that's really where um, a lot of the power uh, of what we do shines yeah. through. I mean, that makes it relatable, right? Mm-hmm. So people totally. come in, you know, thinking they don't have a chance, and they see yeah. gentlemen like yourselves who are, you know, shining lights of what the movement can do. And Chris, I mean, Chris has an incredible story. Do you mind sharing how you found recovery? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, talking about the third place, I was thinking back to my, uh, most of my, uh, my story starts, you know, in high school. Um, you know, there were three places really that we hung out in high school and that was in the library, in the gym or in the bathroom, you know, so my third place was in the bathroom. That's (laughs) where I really felt like I fit in, right. There were no prerequisites and nobody asked anything of me. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I hung out there and found, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes and skipping class and uh, eventually led to smoking pot and, and drinking and... Um, what, what, uh, what kind of cigarettes? Uh, I think then it was probably Marlboros because they were... Reds, lights, mediums. No, they were reds. Reds. Okay. Yeah, and then it's. Hey, you're from Boston. That sounds. Yeah. Switched into ports later <laughs> on, <laughs> and then chewing tobacco to try to quit smoking at the same time. It was a mess. <laughs> in, in between cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So bathroom, smoking, smoking yeah. pot. Yeah. So my high school, uh, high school for me was just it was a mess. I was a mess in. Um, did you make it through high school? Um, uh, in May of my senior year, I ended up dropping out because I didn't have enough credits. I wasn't going to school, and when I was, I was just um, hanging out in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I dropped out in May. And you know, you have you know people uh, that are in recovery have those like moments of clarity. And I remember um, I was standing in the parking lot at looking at the high school building in front of my uh, 1975 Monte Carlo that was all scratched up with people's names on it. Everybody had scratched their name in my car. And, um, you know, my friends were graduating and going into the service. And, uh, and some of them were, like, planning their weddings and all kinds of stuff was going on. And, um, and I wasn't going anywhere it was I felt lost in myself and uh, I felt awful and I um, didn't 
know how to get out of what I was doing. I was, uh, at that point, I realized that I was a full-blown cocaine addict and alcoholic, and um, and I didn't know what to do about it. And back then, that was, you know, that was uh, 1988, I think, or 87, and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of talk back then about, um, you know, recovery and treatment and there wasn't any talk in my family about recovery or treatment. Mm -hmm. From what I from what I know from popular media, I think cocaine was pretty big in the eighties, right? Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Well I aspired to be a smuggler. So no that way. was that was my aspiration. Because the smuggler's blues song was uh, was big in my life back then. <laughs> Pull out. No, just <laughs> and uh, yeah. It was it was Glenn Fry, I think. Okay. Anyways, um so it was shortly after high school I uh I found uh I liked selling cocaine mm -hmm. and um well you got to find a way to turn a dollar right Yeah yeah I was always an entrepreneur and yes. um the entrepreneurial spirit Mhm mm So so you you're you're so you're you're into this cocaine addiction Yeah this I mean started somewhere in high school I'm assuming Yeah and then bled into life after that Yeah not long Not long after Not long after so it was probably about a year later um I, uh, my drug smuggling business uh, came to a screeching halt mm. from, uh, you know, I got busted. Mm -hmm. and uh, That'll do it. Yeah. So I, um, right after I got, I, at that point, I had, uh, I was yellow from drinking so much. Oh, like the, the color of your skin. Yeah. What, what is my it? eyes. What, what, like jaundice. Jaundice, thank yeah. you. That's what it's yeah. called. And, and how old are you right now? Uh, right now, 19. pardon me, in this story. So I was twenty. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah. Oh, so this is all in a short. Period yeah, of time. really short okay. period of time. I um, so I got arrested and uh, and I was turning yellow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> looked like a Simpson character. Yeah, it was awful. It was Weird. awful. It was you know that was the the bottom you know or the worst you know that at that point it was it was pretty low for me. How much uh, how much cocaine were you caught with? Uh, I think it was a little over 21 grams at that point. Okay. Yeah. And I want to say Boston's, they're pretty harsh on. They were. I was fortunate that, um, uh, when I got, uh, arrested, it was right before they came out with mandatory minimums, mm. like months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, I, I was out on, uh, on bail for like a year and every day I was living like it was the last day I was going to see daylight. My lawyer was telling me that I was going to go to prison. And um, uh, I had a friend. There weren't many young people in recovery then, and I had a friend that I was partying with that uh, had gotten sober, and uh, he went to detox. So I started trying to get sober before I went to prison, and um, I started going to some twelve-step meetings, and uh, I'd relapse on the weekend uh, on the weekends, and I'd go to meetings during the week, and that went on for a little while until I actually went to prison. I um, you didn't have a choice. You had to sober up seven days a week. Uh, well, you would think so. <laughs> so I um, I got a six to ten year Walpole sentence, and I served two years of that. And about, I don't know, maybe six months into it, I relapsed. Okay. It was right before my 21st birthday. I, I turned 21 in prison, and um, uh, I relapsed, got caught. You got caught in prison. I got caught in prison, oh, wow. and uh, I was in a minimum security in the 
some of the guys that were there were um, were working. They were going out to work, and they were bringing back bottles of booze. So we mm. were drinking on the weekends, mm. and um, I ended up back behind the wall. And at that point, I was like, I was disgusted with myself because I was, I was in prison for uh, being a drug addict and alcoholic, and and uh, nobody was coming to visit me anymore, and. Um, and I hated who I had become, and I didn't want to be that way anymore. And um, at that point, there was another one of those awakening moments mm-hmm. that I I knew I needed help because I was going to die if if I didn't get help. And uh, and I I uh, reached out for help in prison, and um, and I got myself into treatment. It was a therapeutic community, and I spent about fourteen months. And uh, in treatment in prison, and um, and it and it changed my life. I needed to learn how to how to be a human. Mm-hmm. You know, I went from you know the first time I picked up at eleven, you know, drinking and and uh, and smoking pot to uh, after high school. I'd never spent much sober time on the street yeah. as an adult. You say half your life. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was grateful for the Department of Correction actually, you know, changed my life. And I'm grateful so, so you served two years, and in that sense, or the time that you spent, you yeah. found this program yep. that helped you get sober. Yep. So two years, you leave prison, right? Yep. And what was the name? It was a, a wall, a wall, a wall pole. So yeah, it was a wall pole. So in Massachusetts, they have you know you can either get uh, county. Uh, sentences or state prison sentences. Okay. So Walpole was ha- happened to be the prison that I got sentenced to, and then they moved me around quite a bit, and I ended up uh, in Concord, Mass. Uh, oh, so Walpole is the name of the yeah name Walpole. Of the, okay, okay. Yeah, Walpole is the name of the town that the prison's in. Yeah, okay. Okay. So so you you're you're now sober and you're still in prison. Yep. And then you get out. I got paroled to a halfway house and spent six months in that halfway house. And how did that go? That was that was amazing. I um, I got to get a job, and I started working at a, a motorcycle shop and uh, working in the junkyard, taking the motorcycles apart and putting yeah. the parts away. And they moved me up to the dealership, and... Uh, and, uh, and I was sober. I was, you know, uh, got my own apartment, and um and things were 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 getting better in my life and i uh i wasn't getting connected though i wasn't finding that tribe and i felt alone Mm -hmm. i was away from home for a really long time that was the first time in my life that i Mm -hmm. you know through prison and then uh, my job being away from home so i uh, i started struggling a little bit and i got on my motorcycle one day and drove back home to webster what, what what kind of bike? Um, it was a 1984 Kawasaki GPZ 1100. Okay. And I was a little guy. I was like a <laughs> 135 pounds soaking wet on the back of that motorcycle. And it was like a rocket. Legs flapping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I imagine it being the early 90s. You've just got long hair flowing out the back, too. Uh, I don't know. If I'm, ima- I'm imagining like a Van Halen video there's right a, now. There's it. actually a picture of my Instagram. I don't know if... I scrolled through it yet, but um, there was a. I had a. I had a nice um, uh, mullet. Oh, of course, it was spiked. Oh, business in the front, party in the back. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, I was loving that look. But I think I think Chris's story, you know, coming out 
and really not knowing what to do with yourself, whether you're coming out of treatment or you're coming out of prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we were kind of laughing about the, you know, selling cocaine, but it's like so many people end up in that place trying to feed their own habit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you look at our prisons and we look at like adverse childhood experience, like early childhood trauma, mm-hmm. we're really locking up trauma and then letting it sit there and not much changes when you're in prison. It just festers. Yeah, and then you come out and you're right back to the same group of friends. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's like, you know, Phoenix didn't exist then. No. And it didn't exist when I got sober, but had it, it would have been something we could have stepped right into and, yeah. and found some support. Yeah. And really I was searching for that, you know, when I when I got out of prison. When I when I went home on my motorcycle, <laughs> that's what I was looking for, you know, I was going back to, you know, my friend that had gotten sober. Mm. And we ended up, you know, we were hanging out. We were going to twelve-step meetings and hanging out at friendlies. You, you, you had, you had something. So yeah. it, it's a tribe of two, but still a tribe, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So when I got introduced to Phoenix years later, it was, it was amazing. That was, that was like the first time. In my, I, had, I was twenty-two years sober when I uh, went to Denver and got to meet Scott, and that was the first time in my life that I felt safe in okay to be who I was in a space other than a 12-step meeting because I hid that part of my life Mm -hmm. for a long time. I didn't, you know, now that I had gotten sober, I didn't want people at work to know my background. I was ashamed of who I was and the stuff that I did, and I felt horrible about it, but I didn't know how to have a good time either. So so were you involved with um, like boxing, rock climbing, like how, how did you get involved in to Phoenix? I kind of want to, want to bring this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, eventually I, uh, I owned my own construction company mm-hmm. and I built and remodeled subway restaurants. And I don't know if you ever saw, uh, in the, uh, undercover boss. Yeah. They had, they had an uh, episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They had an episode okay. about subway restaurant. What season and what year, what episode? I don't know. Don Furtman was the, yeah. the guy from Subway. I'll, He's I'll their right chief now. development uh-huh. officer for yeah. Subway. He's on our board. You can give Eric 15 seconds. I'll find yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm sitting at home watching uh, Undercover Boss because I, wor- I was working for Subway, and I, I'm watching at the end um, the the executive that they used to go back and make sandwiches came out and talked about his recovery. Oh, wow. I was like, holy shit, the guy's sober. And I have never in my life felt compelled to reach out to anybody that I've seen on TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I sent him an email and, uh, and we had became, you know, we correspond back and forth. We became Facebook friends and he saw that, um, that I was involved with CrossFit and he happened to be on the board of directors for Phoenix. So when they started talking about expanding into Boston, Don Fartman's like, I know this guy in Boston that's sober and he does CrossFit. Huh. Oh, so you were, you were doing CrossFit at this time? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I got introduced to Scott, Don, and uh, uh, put together a conference call with all of us. And when was this? What year? That was like five years five ago. Five years ago. Five yeah. Years ago. And it was kind of cool because uh, obviously Don working for Subway has scaled something. You know, he was with them when they were like 140 stores. Now they're over 40,000, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he said, well, how did Phoenix start? And it was really just me and my bike taking guys on bike rides and going to the climbing gym. And he's like, well, you needed to find another guy in a bike. <laughs> and uh, so we found a guy in a barbell instead. And uh, Chris took it to Boston and... and um, 
that's what we're doing now. We're just finding people in the other communities that can help us create that safe and supportive space. And for 48 hours, clean and sober, you can come throw down with them. And uh, it's, it's allowing us to reach a lot more people. So it all started with you taking recovering addicts on bike rides. Yeah, and, so and did, the climbing gym. So did you did you go through a twelve step process? Like, how, how did you get to where like I got, Phoenix started? I got sober in Boston, and I just had you know years of really bad nights. You know, like every addict will talk about the last time they used is. And sometimes I'll refer to it as hitting bottom. Mm. I don't believe that people have to hit rock bottom to get sober. I just think you need moments of perspective on your life. But the last night I used was in Boston, and and uh, you know I would. I would black out drunk and then, then, you know, come to using cocaine and, you know, I'd be on day long, multi-day benders. And, mm -hmm. you know, it started out as like partying and having fun with people. And then it was just a couple hardcore addicts using with me. And then it was just me using by myself, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's, it starts out as a party and then you find yourself, you yeah. know, using alone. That's when yeah. It's more of a problem. And the, the, you know, the, one of the worst parts about it is this like shame piece you feel inside, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought for sure that that last night I used, I knew that's how my life would end if I stayed, stayed on that track. And I thought, actually thought about my mom and who would have to tell my mom that she yeah. lost her son to that stuff. That's and, heavy. So you, you'd actually, you'd come to terms with this is how my life is going to end. Yeah. And, and I, I woke up the next day or the day after that, I don't know how long I slept, but, um, <laughs> but, but I was like, I'm going to, I got to do something different. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to get outdoorsy. So I went and I bought like a Gore-Tex jacket and tried to hike in the mountains. Didn't even know what hiking was. So I was like, oh, walking on dirt. Am I a hiker now? And, uh, and then I found a boxing gym. My friend was a Golden Gloves fighter. Mm -hmm. And she actually got me into boxing and uh, found some sober guys there. And, and I was off and running. Wow. And, uh, so I, that was, you know, April 8th, just over 21 years ago, uh, last drink. Wow. So you didn't go through a 12 step program? No, I didn't. And I, after about six years sober, I saw a lot of people in recovery kind of white knuckling, trying to stay sober. Uh -huh. And my climbing partner, Ben and I, he was in recovery and another climbing partner, Jackie, who's still works with Phoenix. They both helped start Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Um, we were like, we got to give this to other people. So we started just offering it for free to take sober people out. And, um, you know, the first guy showed up and he's like, does anybody else come to this thing? And I was like, just keep coming, man. They will someday. And, um, but it went, you know, from a couple of guys to a couple thousand. And I think with all the sites this year, we'll probably add about 7,000 new people to Phoenix Goodness. over the next year. So next 12 wow. months, man, that's incredible. I, I, you guys have tossed about a couple of numbers here about the scope and size of this. So. There were 70 people involved in 2006. Yeah. And now you've got 24,000 people that have gone through the program. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And awesome. then how many locations? Yeah, that's, we got to update that. Already. Yeah, that's old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're basically in 10 states and 12 cities. And we're going to try to hit about, go be in about 15 more communities in the next 12 months. Now, now, well, now what does that look like? Now, how, first, so. How do you choose where to go and then how do you 
This is a good. This is a yeah. good topic. How do, so, how, how do you find people to? The guy who monitors that? this part of the site is going to hate me right yeah, now. Yeah, But you just <laughs> you go to the initiate page. Yeah. Uh -huh. And you click it, and it'll kind of take you through what you have to fill out. And, what, and what's for those listening? What's the what's the website? Um, Thephoenix.org. Okay, we can put that in the end description. Yeah, yeah, and as you scroll down, that kind of takes you through some of the things that you'd be willing to coach and teach and. And you kind of fill this out, and then you get an email with even more questions. Mm -hmm. Then there's kind of a screening call. And we it's quite a process. And the reason that is is we want people to create a safe, supportive environment. Phoenix also has a code of conduct mm -hmm. that people have to adhere to. And that's designed to create a trauma-informed environment. And the idea is that if you come in and you can actually be yourself, you don't have to put on that emotional armor of trying to be a tough guy or, you know, just, you know, ripping off your shirt and showing your abs right away. Like Phoenix is like a shirts on kind of gym. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, sometimes you roll up, I, I do drop-ins and you roll up in like the cast of 300s at the door and you're, oh, like, yeah. you're like, uh, I might take my fuel tank somewhere else. Yeah, first, <laughs> right I'm going to talk about myself here for a second. I'm not a big shirt off working out guy, so I can relate to this really well. But there's a guy we work with. I'm not going to name any names. I'll do it uh, for you. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is, is, is cars right there. Uh, but we did a workout. We did the handstand walk, lunge workout the other day. And we warmed up for maybe, I don't know, four or five minutes is nothing. <laughs> the clock hasn't even started, and he just peels his shirt off. <laughs> he takes it off. I'm like, God, this work hasn't even started, man. I just, I like it off. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know guys, I CrossFit got friends of mine that probably don't own shirts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's always walking around. There was a shirt that came out at the games. I think it was two years ago. I said, no sh CrossFit, no shirt, no problem. Yeah. That yeah. was pretty good. But, you know, we try to create that trauma healing space, and then, uh, Honestly, if people sort of violate that code of conduct, that's an opportunity to give them like a handrail to bring mm -hmm. it back into the community. You know, we might pull a guy aside and said, you know, you don't you don't have to argue with somebody over a barbell. We have fifteen of them. We, now this is talking to one. this is talking to people who yeah. want to be in the program to help and set up centers, yep. right? Yeah. And then, then they might come to you and say, Hey, I can put together two days to come on Friday, but I'm having trouble actually getting sober. What should I do? Mm -hmm. And then we have a big enough network with all the treatment partnerships. We can kind of push people upstream and have them get help. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then also it's just that peer-to-peer -peer piece. So, you know, I part of my drinking and drugging was from early childhood trauma stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I'm open about that and I talk about therapy and the work I've done around it, it makes space for other people to to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when, when we're all a little bit vulnerable, it actually opens up space for us all to get closer. Yeah. So yeah, it's just cool to, to watch it happen now. And, and, you know, with anything, I'm sure CrossFit kind of experienced this early on as you scale, you wonder if it's going to be the same in every space. Yes. And I see people posting stuff on Instagram about Phoenix and in, in Boise, Idaho, and their Phoenix moment is the same as it was for Chris or for me, you know, mm. the first time I got to the top of a climb. Yeah. And it's just neat to, to know that we're, we're all the same, no matter where we come from, if we've been in prison, if we haven't, you know, what are, what's in our bank account, what zip code, that, that, that resiliency of the human spirit is the same in all of us. Yeah. And I, I mean, going through that first workout or reaching the top of the first, you know, while you climb first bike ride, whatever it is, I mean, it's gotta be, it's like turning the page in a new chapter in your life. Mm. You know, it's like I'm I'm putting this behind me and I'm starting something new. Yeah, and, and we talk a lot about too. Like every time, you know, every time I 
went to Phoenix and picked up the barbell, I was a little more of a crossfitter and a little less of an addict, mm. you know, so there's that, that mental shift too. Yeah. That, uh, that really corresponds to everyday life, you know, because thinking bad of yourself, I'm really good at that, you know. Yeah. But being able to have the tools to be able to start thinking better about myself is really, really powerful. So people fill this out and they go through yep. the rest. There's a phone call and then they have help along the way. And so how long after someone fills this out and they talk to you guys, do they actually find a facility i'm guessing they use a, so, a gym to volunteer their time and space for them to this would this use. would really be geared for like folks that already like know that they have an instructor or that there's a facility mm. you know this is for people that want to um the the community stuff that we were talking about earlier with the crossfit gyms this is where a crossfit gym would or a yoga or a climbing gym would go oh, and fill this stuff okay, out okay, okay. And say, oh yeah, we got some space. We want to help. And these are, you know, if you scroll down a little bit, there's some questions in here that ask about some of uh, some of the things that they have in their community, and uh, and if they, you know, if they have an instructor. Okay, so so people can go here. They can fill this out, and that's how they get it started to yeah. opening up essentially a center that they can have people, to come, yeah. recovering addicts, to come in. And, help themselves. and the timeline, you know, from when you fill that out to when you get contacted depends on how many, <laughs> how many hits we get. I can, I can absolutely relate <laughs> to we that. Have yeah. like, we have, like, one, one guy yeah. who's, like, blurry-eyed. Well, especially when you preface with this, our IT yeah. guy is going to kill me yeah, for yeah, saying yeah. this. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but um, you know, finding that, that sort of the right match culturally, mm -hmm. you know, is, is not always easy. Mm -hmm. So kind of it takes a while to screen through that. Then we have a training, and they can come to it's free. And they just have to get themselves there and pay their flight and hotel or whatever. And um, we train them in the Phoenix model how to build supportive, sober, active community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they can either go home and do some their own thing, or if there's a match, they can become a Phoenix. Okay. You know. And the other thing we have is that we also, you know, through our website, through info at at info at the Phoenix org. Uh, potential donors and communities can reach out to us if they want to support us getting there. And then that allows us to start actually intentionally doing the legwork to, to uncover opportunities in the community. Ah, okay. And is there another page on here for that? Or No, we're working on kind of revamping this a little bit. But if you just go to contact and and uh, end with, or donate, anybody can go yeah, there. Yeah, the donate button looks good. Yeah, yeah. yeah donate. Because, <laughs> I mean, we're the thing is, yeah, <laughs> we can run Phoenix. We can run our chapter of Phoenix for what it costs to put a couple guys in prison for a year. And and serve thousands wow. you know so i think i think nationally we have this mental model about how to address addiction and it's totally flawed mm -hmm. i think it's like i said it's that it's that just treating the back end of it it's like okay yeah. well how do we address car accidents let's get more ambulances yeah you know it doesn't make sense like let's make better drivers <laughs> right yeah. and um it's the same with phoenix if we can if we can break the generational transmission of that trauma you know if 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 people that come to Phoenix, their families can grow up in a home where mom or dad is sober, support, yeah, then then it is less likely to be transferred to the next generation. I mean, it reminds me of uh, once again in the spirit of it, what Greg said as far as um, a swim coach versus a lifeguard, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, lifeguards are very very important. The, you know, the doctors, if you, you break a bone, something, surgery, yeah. you know, very very intense. If, if if shit hits the fan, mm -hmm. absolutely let it there, but to mitigate the amount of 
chancellor is to have to be seen by mm-hmm. you know that lifeguard you know let's talk to the swim coach mm-hmm. yeah let's let's learn how to do these things and i can't i i feel the same thing with you guys' program yeah i i agree and i think what i love also about what greg talks about is like how crossfit boxes are are places where we sort of attack chronic disease mm-hmm. and addiction certainly is there you yeah know, it's it's one of those oh, things that that maybe when you look at the short list of chronic disease stuff we don't always make the list addiction or substance use disorder it absolutely is a chronic disease but it is and and when you look at the ace study adverse childhood experience study um which was done with about seventy thousand people adults um there's evidence that if you score on that ACE scale at a certain level, the likelihood of, of um, your life expectancy going down increases. So if you score, I think it's over a six on the ACE scale, you can reduce your life expectancy by almost 20 years. Jesus. So, what, no, tell me, what, what is a score? How do you, what, what's a score? So if you, if you just Google adverse childhood experiences and you look it up, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll find it on there and there's, it lists them out. So it's witnessing violence. It's coming from domestic violence. It's, oh, okay. you know, family of divorce. It's being sexually assaulted, physically abused. There's this whole list. And, um, you know, most of us score something on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, but often like you look at a program like Phoenix, or if you walk through Walpole prison, you know, <laughs> people are going to score pretty high, pretty high. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, if we can, if we can help people figure out how to build healthy and supportive community mm-hmm. and re-identify as something positive and find healthy attachment through our community that they may not have gotten earlier in life, we can, I think, beat the odds on those 20 years mm-hmm. and, and push that way out. And, um, you know, in there is also diabetes and chronic heart disease and yeah. smoking and all those other things. It's kind of like triage, right? Let's, let's, let's hit the, first, the most important one first. Yeah, yeah. totally. Because, yeah. I mean, substance use disorder, overdose is now the leading cause of accidental death under the age of 50 in America. And when you add, add illicit drugs and, and pharmaceutical together, you lose somebody every four minutes. Are you finding that's what the majority of people walking through your doors right now are suffering from? I think opiates is really taken off, you know, and prescription pills is, is, you know, is really the gateway drug now, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like you're smoking a little weed and somebody has something else. So you try that. People are starting on, on some of those opiates. And I listened to uh, an interview um, with Ryan Leaf the other day. Remember him? He was a college quarterback in uh, Washington State, and he got drafted. And it's arguably the biggest bust in you know football history. Hmm. Uh, but after he was after he left the NFL, he became addicted to painkillers. Hmm. Ended up going to jail, serving I don't know a year or two or something like that. But now he's back, and he's kind of like you know he's sober. Mm-hmm. He was talking about um, his addiction to painkillers, and the the interviewer asked. Uh, did you know what you were getting into when you when you took these? And he said, "Well, I was told that they would help the pain, and they did. Yeah. But if they told me, they told me that uh, fifteen years from now I'd be breaking into people's houses yeah. and stealing these just to feed my addiction. You might not want to take them. He's like, I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's such a common story. I mean, that is probably the most common story that we hear with all the kids that are coming in. And the sad part is, is that." You know the heroin is so much cheaper 
been trying to track down those pills. The kids mm-hmm. are just switching to heroin like right off the bat. And now you're even seeing like fentanyls. Which well, are... they're putting fentanyl in the in the heroin now. And it, I was at a I was at a, a conference a few weeks ago, and they were talking about the overdose rate of folks that are getting out of prison that are relapsing. The overdose rate is up like twelve thousand percent because mm-hmm. the folks that have been in prison for a few years are getting out and shooting fentanyl instead of heroin that they were shooting before. Oh, they, they, they were playing with like 80 octane. They get yeah. out and now they're playing with 95. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're trying to um, get some Narcan training for everybody that gets released from prison. And that's an overdose reversal drug. Yeah. Narcan. Narcan. Say it again? Narcan. 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 Or Narcan. Nah. Yeah, it depends on what part of the country. Nakian. Yeah, if you're from Nakian. the right coast. Have, have, have <laughs> again. Right. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's, I mean, when you look at the, the stats out there, it's pretty bleak. But I think, you know, one thing that's so cool about Phoenix is when you when you walk into the gym, everybody's laughing and having fun and, you know, pushing each other to try, you know, go harder in that workout or get to the top of the wall or the deadlift. Yeah. The deadlift this morning. <laughs> Eric. Yeah. I asked Eric, I was like, has anybody ever fallen off the chair in the podcast with, cause they're back spasms. <laughs> <laughs> we were like the butt bending bars down there. <laughs> but, um, but that's what recovery starts to look like. That's what hope is. You know, there's, there's very few problems we can fix from this deficit thinking right like mm. it, like bragging about your your overdose fatality rates in a community and thinking about it from that place like isn't necessarily going to fix the issue like we need to think about you know as i said before changing mental models right mm-hmm. like and changing the way people think yeah approach there was there there was a time somebody was making a lot of money in cell in pay phones and then cell phones came out right like mm-hmm. so it's like what's the next evolution for addiction recovery support and i think it's keeping people in recovery when they get there not having the relapse sort of take them out as many times as it does so you think that or you're you're saying that traditional recovery methods are are too short i think we're trying to fix a, a lifetime long issue mm. with this acute care approach so oh okay you okay. go in you do 30 days of treatment good luck man mm, have fun yeah. out there oh you get out of prison here's the stuff you came in with in the summer it's mm-hmm. the winter in boston you know like yeah it, it's not it's not just a, a light switch right it's yeah. um it's habits yeah that you change daily yeah another tangent here my wife was watching some show on netflix but they they go find people that are just kind of their life's messy. They don't really, they're just kind of blah. And these five guys come in and they change their, like their style, their home, their eating habits, a couple of other things. But the one that got me was this guy lives in New York and they're teaching him how to like cook something. It was like a pita pocket or something. It was something really benign. And I'm like, you're, 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 you're not changing this guy's <laughs> his habits here. Like he's still, he's still going to eat out. He's not, he's not going to cook just from one meal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think that's, that's kind of what we're getting. It's like, you're not just going to tell somebody, Hey, here, here's the tools. Here's, here's what you need. You should be doing this. I mean, I'm sure addicts have been told that their entire lives. Yeah. Like, well, Hey, you shouldn't be doing it. And they probably, they probably already know that, but yeah. how do you instill with them the, not just the knowledge, but the personal responsibility and accountability to maintain that sober walk? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we talk about a lot when we, when we hike up a mountain with somebody, mm-hmm. 
we're not trying to fabricate an experience to build self-efficacy, you know? We're taking them up a mountain because when you look at from the top of a mountain out at something, it's it's amazing. Mm. You know, we know it's going to be amazing. We don't have to try to tell them what they're going to see in themselves up there. They're going to see something. Once they get there, they'll know. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it's, it's genuine. And the fact that we're on the trail together facing that greater adversity, it's the same as the whiteboard, what you mm. were talking about. You know, that, that fist bump at the top of the mountain or after Fran, mm-hmm. you know, is is where that little self-esteem shift and somebody sits a little taller. Mm-hmm. Confidence. Yeah. yeah. And when you have that that fortitude that you start to build and you go out and your old crew's like, hey, man, we're going out this weekend. You want to come? You're like, no, I'm good, man. I have some stuff going on now. Yeah. And, um, and when life shocks you, as it does for all of us with reality, you know, you have somebody to turn to and a place to go. Where, where you can be supported. Mm. Yeah. So. And honestly, I think that that was probably one of the most beneficial things to me in my recovery was the length of time I got to spend in treatment, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was there long enough, right, to, to crack that thick nut upstairs mm-hmm. and be held in one place long enough that I realized maybe maybe I should listen to mm-hmm. these people that, that maybe they do know. Because it... When I when I got to twelve step, it was full of old people smoking, and I didn't feel like I fit in there either. Yeah. You know, so it was it was hard. So you think you you're you're an outlier, like in, 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 I think I was fortunate because I I found recovery in a space that was there long enough to hold me. You know, I was almost two years sober by the time I got out of that halfway house. It was like yeah. twenty two months sober. So and, and in those days, twelve step didn't really have space for young people. Mm. When Chris and Chris was young then, you know. Yeah. So, but now there's more opportunities. He's still young. <laughs> Not anymore. There's, <laughs> there's more opportunities for young people now, and and but still, there's very few recovery support programs. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them are geared towards like more of that treatment side, and it's like yeah. diabetes. Like your doctor says, you're diabetic that's just one part like when you leave that office what happens the rest of your life is what matters mm-hmm. you know it's the same for addiction recovery lifestyle choices and making bigger changes that send your life on a trajectory that's you know helpful mm-hmm. instead of harmful yeah yeah i and, you know we're talking about mental models and um one of the most helpful things that i realized uh, being a part of phoenix was uh talking about my recovery you know, and we talk, touched a little, little bit on it earlier, is that, you know, being able to be open about being in recovery is really powerful and it provides that space for other people to ask questions because every time I'm afraid to share about my recovery, and I do, mm-hmm. there are people around me that say, oh, thanks, man, you know, my son or my cousin or myself or whatever are suffering and I really appreciate you sharing. And, and Phoenix really gave me the... Um, the ability to be able to share about my recovery publicly yeah. and and I feel that it gives me the the ability to be able to help others on a regular basis and, and that's really powerful too. I mean it's incredible what you guys are doing I it's 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 hard for me to I, I can't really think of another entity that's doing what you guys are doing on like the scale that you are you know what's cool is that that 
you know, a lot of other organizations have been influenced by Phoenix and little things are popping up in different places. And actually in that video um, that you were playing earlier, Carlene Matthews was in there. Oh, she's awesome. And, yeah, she is awesome. Yeah, she came out and hung out with us for our, one of our big CrossFit comps and and uh, her and a crew in her gym have started a thing called Power Clean. Mm-hmm. And it's a program that's, you know, kind of similar concept. Ah, um, Power Clean, I get it. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just awesome to see that that other people are creating things because I think that's the sea change that will actually change the trajectory of the country around addiction is when, when we all realize like we have the power in our community right now to address this Mm. and we all step up and kind of do something about it. It's the stigma that surrounds, you know, recovery as a whole. Everybody's afraid to talk about it. Families and communities are absolutely afraid to talk about it. But I think that the, that that's starting to change and, and people become more open, unfortunately, because more people are becoming affected by it. Yeah. yeah, but to have I mean to have Carlina Games athlete talk mm. about openly about her recovery is yeah. just amazing. Is there a, does she have a website for that? Um, I'm sure know. she's got one sure. somewhere. I don't know for Power yeah. Clean, but but just for her own stuff, yeah. she talks okay. about it in her social social media. Okay. And um, you know, I, I think that stigma is one of those things that's that's also causing us to lose a lot of people because if you have a loved one who's struggling and you don't talk about it with other people. I may also have a loved one struggling and not know where to go. Mm-hmm. But if you've learned from that journey and you could get me up the learning cur- curve faster, maybe that person could get help faster. Yeah. So it's, it's not like, you know, other, other things, you know, sometimes with cancer, people kind of rally around you and bring you, cook you meals and take care of your kids and stuff while you're mm-hmm. getting treatment. That doesn't happen for a heroin addict, no. you know, and if it did, maybe we could bring those numbers down and start to stem the tide of it more broadly. Yeah. I mean, it's like what you said when you were in, when you were in prison and you know, people stopped coming to visit you. Yeah. Cause I think there, there is that stigma around it. It's, it's like people, it's like they want it away from them. Mm. Whereas, you know, cancer, they're willing to embrace. I don't know. It's like people, mm. I don't know. It's, I, I think it's a really touchy subject and, and you're right. Well, I think, I think the more we humanize it, and have people realize. So I, I think of it this way: we talk about those adverse childhood experiences. For me, it caused a self-esteem wound that led me to numb that out with drinking and drugging. But mm-hmm. for other people, they try to fill that hole by how much money they make, or what they look like, or what kind of car they drive—stuff that ultimately will never make them feel whole. Mm-hmm. We we have to find that within us. Yeah, we can't find it outside of us, and. Um, you know, that's also the beauty of the CrossFit gym, right? Mm-hmm. Like the barbells sort of help us find that within us. Yeah. And then once we own that, like we start to think anything's possible. Yeah. So. yeah. Eric, why don't you go ahead and do me a favor and press that blue button on the screen? All right. Thank you. Done. Boom. Follow. <laughs> that's awesome. So, <laughs> so now we've got an idea of what you guys do. And thank you for being so open about it. I, incredible. What is, so say I'm, I've been sober for 47 hours, 59 minutes and 50 (laughs) seconds. I'm at your door. I walk in. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing that happens? You're going to, um, 
you're probably going to be a little bit afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so is there someone to greet them? Yeah. Is there, they yeah. sign a waiver? Yeah. Do they, yeah. they learn the air squat? Like what, what, yeah. what, what's, what do they go through? So the uh, process, you know, and what you just described is that we talk about that 500 pound door handle is the hardest thing for people to do is open the door and come into the gym. Mm -hmm. Once they come in, um, they're greeted by somebody. We get them signed up. So there's some paperwork they need to fill out and, it's on the, on the computer, so it's some intake paperwork, a waiver. And then they're welcomed into the community by the people that just signed them up. You know, they introduce mm. you to the instructor. You get introduced to the folks that are in the gym. And before every event, um, well, not before. Sometimes we do it at different times, but we always circle up. So circling up and introducing ourselves and uh, being able to share how we found Phoenix and then um, we'll have, you know, a question. I like the superhero one, or Scott likes the really powerful ones, like what's your proudest moment, Oh, right? So, I've always been, what's your favorite bug? That's yeah, yeah. yeah we have a, yeah. oh, that's awesome, because we have a girl in Boston, Sydney, she uh, she likes that one too, or plant. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got my wife would kill that one. Yeah. Favorite plant. So, and that really helps, um, like, break the ice for mm -hmm. the new people to get to know the other people in the community and, and then it's really up to the instructors and the volunteers to help get them plugged in with some of the alumni folks that have been mm -hmm. there for a while like oh you know this is uh eric he's from the va and jim's been here a while and he's from the va so oh so on that first meeting they're already getting hooked into oh they get yeah, plugged the right in you come yep nice. yep we're trying to figure out kind of how you got there, what brought you there, and then find somebody in the gym that could match that a little bit mm -hmm. and get you hooked up with them. And, and so, then, something relatable, someone who's gone through a similar trauma, similar yep. life, life experiences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another thing that's cool is we'll take folks that have been there for a while and ask them to kind of mentor somebody. Yeah. Like, like mm -hmm. maybe it's really technical movement in the workout. So we'll say, hey, do you mind working with this new guy, showing him the clean and jerk? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you get this lift too. Even though you've been there a while, you may yeah. be in recovery, but now you're asked to be of service. Mm -hmm. and, and by being of service, I think it, it just kind of fills your heart and you feel this value. Well, I mean, you feel needed. Yeah. Right? And our, our CrossFit classes, especially in Denver, you know, we need all of the volunteers and help we can get. You know, there'll be 40 people in that gym on a Saturday night throwing down. Oh and so you write the workout, and then you, see, you run out of barbells when you look around. So you, you change, change the workout. <laughs> and then it's not, it's not like you can say, come back at the 5 o'clock. Because oh, yeah. the guy probably, yeah. like, dug himself out of a meth house to get there, you know. Yeah, so, yeah you don't want to lose anybody. Yeah, so everybody's welcome, and we never cap classes. And that's another reason why it's good to have a whole bunch of level ones floating around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, Need a little bit of help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it pretty quickly turns into a partner workout, and then a three-person partner workout. And, mm -hmm. uh, like but, today, we're all partnered up on the barbells. You know, yeah. that's yeah. Safe. I was gonna say it's it's not unlike a regular CrossFit gym. Mm. Yeah, you, you see that and that stuff happens. I mean, whether or not people are sober, recovering, whatever they are, it's it, mm -hmm. it happens at every affiliate. Mm -hmm. and the cool cool thing is that in the communities where we have an actual affiliate that's connected to the nonprofit, <clears throat> people can join to support the program. And that's part of our workforce development. So all the coaches there are those guys like Chris that may have walked right in out of prison. And two years later, they're coaching the noon class. And and somebody, you know, local doctor and lawyer signing up to help support that. And that's so Perignum, you know, our shirts is our affiliate 
And Perignum's Latin through through fire or by fire. And Phoenix makes yeah. sense. And where is Perignum? Perignum's in in Denver, and then there's a Perignum three in Boston and one in Orange County. Okay. So there's a couple of them kicking around, and then also uh, Progressive Fitness CrossFit in Colorado Springs. Okay. As part of Phoenix, they already had a Phoenix kind of logo, so they just kept theirs. Uh, <laughs> but easy. But uh, and Chris Hoppy runs it down there. He's a like a regional athlete. And his, Hoppy his, sounds familiar. Yeah, his mom went to the games. It's a Masters. So. Oh, um, what's a, what's in Merriam? I, I didn't they Sorry, didn't, were, yeah. <laughs> and mom I yeah I, I've, I've got didn't, a picture of her Chris yeah. and his mom were at the regionals at the same time I think yeah, right yeah In the same year they both went to regionals oh I think God. that was a story but it's Chris cool awesome. we went went to the springs or Colorado Springs originally because we mm -hmm. started doing more work with vets mm -hmm. yeah know? the Air Force Academy yeah there right faces yeah. and Phoenix is great for for vets coming in in recovery because mm. you know we don't you don't have to raise your hand and say, Hey, I'm an addict. Hey, I'm struggling. You can just come in and grab the kettlebell and start swinging it. And by the end of the workout, they're like, so you're totally sober. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> and then three months later, they're like, I might be an alcoholic. I was like, I kind of figured since you kept coming, you know, but, uh, it's, it's good that you can. Yeah. And uh, like some of our guys wear sober shirts and, you know, to That's attack cool. that stigma, we go to CrossFit comps and people are like, what is it? What's that thing on everybody's ankle? You know, <laughs> ankle monitors. You it's know, a new heart going, rate monitor. No <laughs> way. Yeah. 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 One of our guys was joking. We we're like, we got to ask the judges to make a, a ankle monitor that you can do overhead squats in, because they kind of cut into your ankle a little when you're <laughs> deep in a squat. So. Yeah. Excuse me, judge. I've got a small minor request. <laughs> yeah, it's not good for lifting. <laughs> oh, and what's interesting is uh, this Saturday happens to be our uh, annual cross, our annual competition that we have in Denver. The Atlas Barney Stone is happening Saturday, and that's a big fundraiser for us. And that's where the videos came from last year. You guys were there to video, and Carlene was there. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That footage was shot at the last Atlas Barney Stone. It's St. Patty's theme event. We had to move the date. Scott was a kilt. Other thing that happens around St. Patty's Day, the open. Oh, uh, yes, yes. But uh, I remember it. So, you, you know. Yeah, you got if you wear a kilt, it's got to be family friendly. It was, it was this. This is the Atlas Blarney Stone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's in Denver every year. It's Chris Hoppy oh, right, right there. there. Oh, all right. I'm bending some barbells and. Um, and Chris, I thought that was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get his emails sometimes, but not that much weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a blast. Justice system. So. It was really amazing experience. People hate those D-balls by the end of the thing. I'm not a big fan of them. Yeah, yeah. we're running up the block with those. And... Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow, that's, that's incredible. So how many people show up for this? Uh, we have, like, how many athletes? We have like 200 or something. Yeah. Do this one. And I then want teams, of, teams of four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, we have another one in, the, in Orange County called Phoenix Unbroken. Mm -hmm. that happens uh, after the games. And this is all done by just the support of the local affiliate and Phoenix. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, people are here from all the different affiliates. You know, mm. um, and everyone here is recovering. Uh, no, yeah. these are these are a lot of CrossFit athletes came out to support the nonprofit. Okay. So, you know, a bunch of the people interviewed in that were in recovery. Like Caitlin, she's out in Orange County, and Tommy in the back there. Mm. But. Um, but then other people from local boxes came out to support. You know, you don't have to reach very far to find people who have been touched by it. Mm. And um, so, you know, 
Phoenix is kind of a special place that people can steer people. You know, there's very few resources that you can just say, if you can open the door, you can be part of it. Yeah. Um, then I, that's how we work. And there's a minimal requirement. Yeah. That's incredible. Really cool. I'm, you guys are doing, you guys are doing some good stuff. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we really appreciate your support too. I mean, you guys are a big help with just stuff like this, the videos and um, following us on Instagram. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I told you I would do it the other night, and I just did it this yeah, morning. Yeah. yeah, Eric did too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's oh, the one. Awesome. That's the one you really want. You want yeah. that Eric following you. And when the chance comes up, you got to come sweat it out with our crew. You know, Absolutely. you come in the gym and the best way to get people are like, you know, how do I get plugged in? It's like, come, come throw down a workout. And by yeah. the end, you'll have like the best friends. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, I'm very familiar with that. Um, I did have one more question. Um, so you guys are here this week with a bunch of other nonprofits that uh, the CrossFit Foundation has hooked up with and supports. Can you go into that relationship with uh, the foundation? Sure. Yeah. So we got plugged in with them a couple years back, I think. And, and, uh, it's been a great opportunity to bring us together with other nonprofits that work in the CrossFit space, you know, barbells for boobs, kettlebells for kids, operation surf, a whole bunch of a whole list of them, Reveille project, mm-hmm. um, and Steve's club and a couple of Travis Mannion. Yep. Yeah. Off kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as an executive director of a nonprofit to sit in a room with other nonprofit leaders, and be able to like support each other and some of the challenges that we face. I mean, the nonprofit world is not an easy space to work in. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're oftentimes can't meet the need fast enough for the issue that you're addressing, and it's often a really serious issue where people are losing loved ones, mm-hmm. and and you know that stress can weigh on you. And and just to have a room full of people like that that will listen to what you're struggling with, offer advice on here's what I did around grant writing or around individual fundraising or whatever it is. Now, now what, what, what exactly, what, what is it? What is a nonprofit? Yeah. So it's, it's 501c3, right? Yep. It's an IRA. That's not all I know. IRS tax designation. Hmm. It's for the good of the public. So technically you, the whole, all the listeners, you know, kind of own the nonprofit. The public owns the nonprofit. Hmm. The board and the executive director and the staff just distort the work along. So they do the good work that the nonprofit is supposed to be out there doing. Okay. Um, so when people donate, they get a tax break for it. Um, but the, the, the beauty of them is they address like niche issues in our society that government often can't address. So it gives members of the community a chance to directly influence something they care about mm-hmm. by giving money directly to it as opposed to giving money to taxes and having the government yep. disseminate it. Yep. So you can you can pick an issue that's close to your heart and say, you know, I want to help vets and so I'm going to give to Reveille Project or, mm-hmm. you know, I had a loved one with breast cancer so I'm going to give to Barbells for Boobs. And the beauty of all the nonprofits that are here with the CrossFit Foundation is that they're innovators in their space, right? Mm-hmm. They're like you know they're they're taking a different approach to an issue that's been addressed for years and really had very little impact around it you know these organizations are trying something different and using the power of crossfit to do it okay so it's it's awesome to hang out with everybody and plus Kevin Ogar always gives me a coaching tip that makes my deadlift better. And Eric, <laughs> Eric too. I, I took out a bench one. Like, do you care? 
All right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Kev, Kevin, uh, Kevin actually teaches our, uh, he, they have a class at his gym, uh, CrossFit Watchtower. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday morning is a free class for people in recovery from substance abuse. And Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember him talking about yeah, that. Yeah, so he, he brought, brought Phoenix in there. Yeah. So, so chances are if you drop in on his, in his gym on a Sunday morning, he's going to be the coach there. Wow, how cool. Yeah. So, so all of the, the nonprofits that are associated with the CrossFit Foundation that the foundation supports are all meeting here this week. Yeah, and you're getting to you know share war stories, mm -hmm. how to how to do things properly, how to how to really like show each other what you've learned. Yeah, right? yeah, and then sometimes over the years it's been a more formal kind of training around vision and values and talent acquisition how do you grow the organization or whatever it is mm -hmm. you know so so sometimes it's really more technical training and other times it's it's more just convening and kind of um, sharing ideas and thoughts and but it's uh it's helpful you know because it, it helps us see other ways that we can be impactful how we could reach more people mm -hmm. um, and some of the stuff we learned there that we ultimately brought into this volunteer-led program that chris now runs um, so it's been it's been great. Yeah, I, I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. I'm really excited to see what else. It just feels like you're you guys have you're growing and you're kind of just heading in this direction, mm. right? Yeah. The funnel's getting wider yeah. and wider. Yeah. Well, I think that was the intention. You know, the need was there, and we just needed to figure out how to how to reach more folks. Yeah. So so what's next? What's next is we're rolling out a big anchor chapter in Dallas. So we have. Um, a building that's been donating we're trying to raise sort of the funds down there in dallas though but we have the building pledged for five years okay so we'll have a site um, right in oak cliffs and out just on the edge of dallas and um one thing huge just came up this actually is the first public announcement of it but, oh um, hey, hey everyone you heard it here first <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. eric make sure you're recording okay um, but it's uh we have a donor anonymous donor who pledged a million dollar match uh for the rest wow. of 2018 so any funds we raise the rest of the year will be matched dollar for dollar up to a, up million, to a million up dollars. to a million bucks. Wow. And um, you know, sadly those those kinds of gifts often come about because of a deep personal connection. Um, you know, but but the beauty of it is that that'll allow us to reach, you know, a mm. lot more people. So, yeah. We'll be having the grand opening in Boston too, probably in July or August. Yeah, a little later, probably early fall. Oh, early yeah. fall now. <laughs> yeah. But we'll invite we'll invite CrossFit out for yeah, that. You, you want to? I've learned. You say 2018. Yeah. Yeah. 2018. <laughs> 2018. That's perfect. You know? That's when it's going to happen. We're not saying we're not saying at 5 p.m. We're not yeah. saying that anymore. Yeah. We're just, you know, sometime then. Well, yeah. like keep <laughs> having wishful thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> but that that'll be great. We can we're going to fill that up with sober folks and. Right. Be a good spot. And is that going to be uh, gym space, it will. offices? It, what, it'll be, be, there's a, about a, I guess probably 60 by 60 CrossFit floor in there that we'll be throwing down on and then a yoga room and then about 7,000 square feet of rock climbing inside. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great spot. So, you know, anybody who has a loved one who's struggling can always send them to the website and mm. just have them reach out to us through the contact part and and uh, we'll do what we can to try to help. Cool. And once again, Eric is going to promise that that link is going to be in the uh, in the description. I'll, I'll, see, I'll Eric, see you to it. Eric's, Eric's putting his stamp on that one. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, be cliche, but I think we covered a lot here. Yeah. Yeah. You have anything to say? No. Do you guys have any plugins or? Yeah. Any... You guys want to plug anything? 
No, just help us hit the million dollar match. So <laughs> go to the donate page. Be. And honestly, even even five, ten, twenty bucks there helps a lot. I bet. Because uh you know, everything that gets put in there gets doubled. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's huge and allow us to reach more folks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having us. No, it's been a pleasure having you guys. I really enjoyed having dinner with you the other night. Yeah. This is cool uh, too. Yeah, I know I, I told you to save it for the podcast room. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 None of us even cried. No. Usually, that's a miracle too right there. So. It usually gets pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty my eye, I'm not crying. My eyes are sweating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I think Eric's holding back tears from his hamstrings being so tight. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. <laughs> But he was a boss on the deadlift. Yeah, down there. no kidding. It's, he's he's it's surprising how wiry he it is. Was legit. Yeah. You know, you remind. Did you ever see the movie The Replacements? Oh, Keanu Reeves yeah, is the football ago. one. Yeah, you remind me of the kicker. The kicker. You know the the, the English one? guy who smokes, and they, they he's, he looks totally out of shape. Not that you look out of shape, you oh, look God. in shape, but he always says, "I'm wiry." Yeah, I'm wiry. It just it just it just reminds me of you. You're like, what are you like, 155 soaking wet? 169. 169. Okay, never mind. Yeah. He walked right over to all the yeah. all the monsters in the bar. He did. He walked right like pulling the pulling the bar. Yeah, so. it's insane. It great. And 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 your mile time, like 540. 545. Yeah, it's insane. I will never hit that in my life. Well, he's got you legs that are about six feet. Just his legs alone yeah. are about six feet long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all in my calves. <laughs> it's all in my calves. Don't even start with me with calves. All right, Eric, land that plane. Got it. Hopefully. Want to catch off guard? He did. Yeah, good. It's about time. This is the only thing that we do repeatedly every show. 